As always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I would love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Welcome again to another edition of Second Chance Coaching. I hope all is well on your side of the world and the week has been good to you. All is well on this side of the world, busy as usual, and certainly the week has been good to me as well. I want to take the time again to thank all of you. Thank you all always for the support of the podcast. Please continue to like and subscribe to the podcast on the respective platform that you're listening to. And if you're so inclined, give us a five-star review if you believe we've earned it from you. And, and I really hope that we have. And once again, to continue and to appreciate all the love and support that you're giving to the podcast. I wanted to start off this week by um, sharing a little bit of a story with you, um, a, an exciting meeting that I had. And uh, while working at my part-time job, I had the honor of running into and uh, impromptu meeting Mr. Brian Stevenson. Uh, Mr. Brian, Brian Stevenson is the executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, which you could find his work at www.eji.org. Mr. Stevenson is a lawyer, and you might famously know him because he has an autobiography, which was the basis for the 2019 film Just Mercy, which stars Michael B. Jordan. Now you could probably find the movie in different streaming platforms or on video, an outstanding movie, an outstanding movie. I had the opportunity to share with Mr. Stevenson with how much I loved the movie, of course, how much I loved his work, and especially since I work in education and the reentry space, I also shared with him how I've, how I've utilized his website and the lessons that are there to really, you know, get the most out of people that I work with in the reentry space and even some students. And I also shared with him that I was a regular customer of the annual off of the annual uh, calendar that they put out the uh, that you could hang up in your office or at home and that calendar which is the 365 day a year black history fact calendar has also very powerful images and it's just a incredible piece of work with the research that's done and the pictures that are done and and really highlights the work of what they do at the equal justice institute And in receiving all of that, Mr. Stevenson couldn't be more nice and couldn't be more gracious and humble. We continued to have a small conversation, and he invited me to stop by the Equal Justice Institute if I was ever in Montgomery, as it's located in Montgomery, Alabama. I told him I will certainly have to do that, and I certainly will do that. 
and it was such a good experience meeting him. And like I said, he was so nice and so gracious. You know, you know, when you meet people who are of, or are of notoriety, you don't know what you'll expect when you when you when you give when you approach them and you speak to them. So when you have this type of experience where someone is very nice and very gracious and very humble, it's really and it's really just enjoyable. Not only in meeting them, but it's enjoyable to know that you know supporting their work is supporting a really good person and a really good cause. Now, getting into what we are, before we get into, well, I guess this is getting into what we're going to talk about this week, but I wanted to start off by sharing with you something that was, that was funny yesterday, and that it also redeemed the faith, my faith in, in, in our students. As an educator, you always love teaching and sharing knowledge with your students, even though students show up to class not always ready to receive and embrace instruction, and that's okay. I was one of those students who wasn't always ready to receive embrace embrace instruction either. Sometimes you come to school knowing it's important, but then you come to school and you got so many other things on your mind and so many other distractions, but that's okay. That's okay. On this day that we're recording the podcast, for the first eight weeks of the term, I have an accelerated public speaking course that I teach, and yesterday was the third week of that course. And to give further context, for this story, the class meets from 8 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. every week. Now, when I was growing up, oh boy, okay, I know, I know, <laughs> it's going to sound like I'm going to give an old man diatribe now, and back in my day, yes, I will, it's a little bit I'll say that, but, you know, when I was growing up, in class, I always had a notebook and a pen, and always would take feverish notes of what I was uh, learning and things of that nature and what the teacher was presenting and saying, especially for a class I didn't understand, that I know I would have to try to go back and try to really continue to put more work and absorb what it is that I'm saying, what it is that they're saying. Now, it didn't always turn into me being the best student, but I tried to, you know, to put in my effort, things of that nature when I was growing up. But I would even say in the present day when I, when I was, quote unquote, all grown up, even in the time during, during my graduate school run at Nova Southeastern University when I was working on my second master's and my doctorate from 2012 to 2018. During that time, I would, in classes, I would print out the PowerPoint slides. I would write notes on those slides. I would, I would type notes in those slides, type notes in my computer, you know, write in my notebook, all of that stuff. Because at the end of the day, I always wanted to be engaged in the absorbing of that information that I was receiving. And, uh, and you know, in my class today that I was teaching, I was noticing so many of the students just don't take notes and they sit there with no notes no paper they even have the book bags on their backs like they're not gonna it's almost like oh well i'm not staying long <laughs> and they're just listening and finally i even paused at some point um at, in the lecture and asked the students are they remembering the lecture or the context of what it is that i'm giving in the lecture because i don't teach from just powerpoints i teach from practical perspective, utilizing stories, really stuff that they could help understand. And, and of course, you know, the students said, oh, yeah, of course we'll remember. I got, the, I got the affirmative, yes, we'll remember. There's no need for us to write anything down. We're good, Dr. Lewis, no problem. And I just said, okay. And, you know, and I proceeded with the course lecture. And as the lecture proceeded, I noticed that one of the young men in my class fell asleep. Now, I understand it's, it's, it's hard to get up for an 8 o'clock a.m. class and to be there on time and do what you have to do. And sometimes you may run on short sleep and he fell asleep in class. And so at first I found it amusing that he would fall asleep in class as I know he and the rest of the class was aware 
that we'd be conducting our introduction and special occasion speeches on during that class period. But as I got to the conclusion of the lecture, and I, of that day's lecture, I could tell that based on the questions and inquiries I was getting from the students, that on the whole, they were simply not prepared to complete the speeches today. So I had to make the decision right then and there to improvise and continue lecturing. So I added next week's lecture as well, as far as the lessons and the chapters we had to talk about next week. So I can continue to lecture and do that as well and share that, you know, gave them next week's lessons today. And then I shared with the students that um, since, since it didn't seem that they were prepared, that we were going to do all, that we did the lessons today, that we were scheduled for next week, and that next week we're going to really just dedicate the entire class period to just doing the speeches that we should have done today. Now, the students, of course, seemed relieved. Hopefully they'll be ready next week. And then at, that, and at the end of the day, we just concluded and dismissed the class. Now, as the students left the classroom, I noticed that that one young man was still fast asleep. He was still asleep. Now, I knew he was okay because I could hear him even snoring a little bit. So I said, okay, he's alive. He's all right. But at first, once again, I kind of took it personally. This dude is sleeping in class. Especially for my end, I work hard too. I teach in the day. I teach at night. I have a part-time job. I do the second chance work. You know, I work a lot. And I'm tired. But I made sure that I was here on time. I made sure that I was in class on time. I made sure I was awake and ready to teach and ready to go for the day. And But you know what? As soon as I thought that, I said, okay, don't make it about me. And I immediately shifted my thought process to really providing grace and mercy to the students. So after all the students left, I thought about waking him up. And then I just said, nah, let me leave him be. He's okay. He'll wake up eventually. And I simply left the student in the classroom. And I knew he'd be okay. He'd wake up. So about 20 to 25 minutes later, I got a couple of frantic emails from the student apologizing for sleeping in class, and, and he thought he even missed giving his speeches because he wasn't aware that I was impromptuly, you know, doing lectures for, for the following week. And, you know, the student continued to apologize for sleeping and stated he had sleeping problems, quote-unquote. He didn't specify what those sleeping problems were. And, of course, he was talking about how he was concerned for his grade. Um, I was glad and the, the redemption was that he, that, you know, sometimes you think students don't care, but you know, he actually cared. He cared enough to email me back and, and, um, to, to be concerned about his grade, even though he recognized that he had the issue with sleeping and that wasn't proper for him to sleep in class. But I could say initially, once again, initially when he fell asleep in class, I was a little ticked off. And then once again, like I said, I, I gave him that grace, which is why I didn't wake him up. And then I assured him that he won't fail the class. He's not in trouble and nothing bad's going to happen. But as long as he continues to do his work in class and be prepared to do his two pending speeches next week in class. So obviously he'll have to be awake. Now, now with this and th with this, there's always funny and aggravating stories in higher education. And I'm thinking there's probably funny and aggravating stories in, in all walks, in all professions, and probably in the profession that you're in right now that you could tell a thousand or a million stories of things similar to this that can make you laugh, but still leave you energized to work in the, in the field that you're working on. But I could say in higher education, one day I'm gonna have to have one of my longtime colleagues that I went to college with who works in higher education right now, I'm gonna have to have him join us and maybe we could get one other person and we could have like a round table of sorts and we could trade, trade stories about working in higher education, you know, for your consumption, 
maybe some lessons you and I can learn through the whole thing and uh, definitely have some laughs along the way, <laughs> you know. Now, in shifting, in that encounter with the student, and then it also made me think about an impromptu get-together I had with two different friends this week, it really, you know, in those two things, it reminded me that there's always challenging and hard times in our lives, definitely challenging and hard times in our reentry journey as well. But even in those times, you know, we could definitely, we, as I've always said, we definitely could come across the other side and have the strength um, be present in ourselves and even after the storm really get some level of peace as well. You know, I have two friends, you know, who before the meeting that we had did not know each other. And for those who do who do know me in my personal circles, I'll, I won't identify them by name or gender, so no one can try to figure out who they are. And those that were part of the conversation will not think uh, I'm betraying any confidences. But just in case, I did ask both of them if I could share the general themes of our conversation, as long as I didn't include any, identi- any identifying information. And they both agreed I could speak about it this week. You know, upon conclusion of me teaching one of my night classes, I had a friend who's going through a really tough time at work. So they met me on campus and we were having an extensive conversation about that issue. Essentially, you know, they're a supervisor in a unit and they have one employee who's basically refusing to work and is openly insubordinate to them. So the ultimate take that they had was that when they brought the situation to their supervisor, there was just no support at all. It, 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 it really has effectively handcuffed them from managing their unit appropriately, and now they're at a crossroads at their job if they, know, if they want to stay there or not. When they shared that story with me, we kept talking and talking, and, and in that conversation, I remembered my own experiences from, from about 2016 to mid-2022, for the most part, the better part of six and a half years, where I had numerous incidences, numerous times, of non-supportive or ineffective leadership, um, dealing with hunger game dynamics, including willful sabotage, willful sabotage from other administrative colleagues. And it drove me absolutely crazy. And even in having that conversation with them, I even thought about how angry I was at that time when those things were happening. And even as I speak to you and I was speaking to them, it was making me angry at that moment, thinking about what had happened. In particular, the two incidences in which I took administrative positions um, at my institution, coincidentally, it coincided with the with two dramatic traumatic occasions. You know, both times I took administrative positions, respectively. At the same time, it was just on the heels of Nanam, Nanamdi passing away, and right around the time that my mother passed passed away. And in both of those in, and on both of those occasions. There were a number of selected people who not only knew about the passings, they knew it, but they doubled and tripled down on their ugliness and their nastiness while I was going through a very difficult time, to say the least. Now, I'm not saying that someone had to treat me like porcelain or with kid gloves, but I would have at least expected that people, even in their blind ambition, at a winner it all takes ambition, would have some sort of compassion. But that certainly was not the case. And even to this day, I'm still subject to seeing and occasionally interacting with these same people in my instructional role, but they don't affect what I do. And, and, I, and I go through the process of making sure that, you know what, it's time to forgive others, especially these type of folks. 
But it's a tough process for me. I continue to work on it. But for the most part, I got past the ugliness of what had happened to me because, you know, I moved on to faculty, you know, and, and I was happy that I kept strong through the rough seas. And that is in part, and, you know, that's, and in sharing my experiences, that's what I'm in part what I advise them to do in them going through the process right now of dealing with an insubordinate employee and a non-supportive manager. Now, of course, you know, I told them they have to operate within their own organizational framework, but what they can control is to stay and be strong and to be strong and be focused throughout the entire process. As uh, we continued talking, I received another, I received a phone call from another friend. And like many of us do when we're in the company of other people or we're distracted doing something else, with my cell phone, you know, I send it to voicemail or I ignore the call. And then something strange happened. That's that, that friend who was calling me called me right back again. And I asked to be excused um, from the friend that was in front of me so I could pick up the phone because I figured there was something going on that this friend has called me right back again. And then I know this friend that was calling me on the phone is going through a divorce in which they didn't see coming. And they were having a difficult time adjusting through the process of the new life of one day being married and one day that you're not. And, and I told them where I was when I picked up the phone and they said they were in the neighborhood and if they could, could join us. And I told my other friend who was present, I said, is it okay if someone joins us and things of that nature, they're going through a tough time as well. And they were okay with having more company, as they indicated that, you know, they're miserable and, you know, misery certainly would enjoy some company. So my other friend shows up and I introduced the two friends to each other who at that moment, the only commonality that they had was that they were my friend. At that time, the second friend was talking about going through their divorce and how unexpected it was, especially after being married for so long. And then all of a sudden, they're no longer married and they're dealing with the reality of now it's a brand new reality. You know, I did not want to think that, you know, I was in the place of giving advice on matters of the heart, um, especially on a matter of divorce. I didn't think, you know, I was skilled at really doing that. But, but I did speak to them about, you know, giving what I went through when I, when I was divorced and navigating through what that new life meant, navigating through custody of my children. Although in their case, they don't have children. And going through the process, of, and for me, I was, telling, I was telling them about going through the process of making sure I was being good to myself. Despite the difficulties of what was going on at that time, despite the difficulties of co-parenting while divorced, because it wasn't easy. And, you know, it, it certainly was not an easy process. And those memories, you know, when I thought about it, it sparked a little bit of anger in me as well, because that was not an easy process. It, I did not have an easy time of it. And, but I had to remember at that time and what the, the strength and encouragement that I wanted to give to my friend, to my friend at that moment was that at the end of the day, I lived through the divorce and I lived through the aftermath. And for them, even though they don't have children, it's still a new and fresh situation for them. It's still a difficult situation for them, but I wanted to encourage them that they would get through it as well. Now the night continued to progress and it was getting late and, you know, I was like, wow, you know, we're, we're definitely out late on a school night, but I could tell that these were two friends that were in need and we continue to progress and continue to con trade war stories about work and family and current difficulties and coulda, woulda, shouldas and the grievances we seem to have about the moments in time and, and really past moments in time. At that moment, I made sure that I told the, 
told the both of them, reminded the both of them, although I was not a licensed counselor, psychiatrist, or mental health counselor, I could really tell that they were stuck in hard times and they were experiencing a whole lot of anger. And even for me, having that conversation with them, knowing that I was going through that anger, sometimes reliving it, I knew that I found a place of peace at some point. And I wanted them to find that peace. I wanted them to find that peace or at least find some peace. You know, if not right then and there, but eventually. And then they would become stronger from their experience. When I knew we were deep enough in the conversation and at the place enough in the conversation to find some solutions, I wanted to share with my friends how I went from a place of anger to a place of strength and peace. Now, going to that place of strength and peace is something that I commit to do every single day. I commit to do it every single day. Sometimes you get to a place, you're like, you know what, I'm okay. But you have to every day wake up and commit yourself to being okay. And these were the 10 steps that, you know, I shared with them that, that I used to navigate through my anger and become stronger and become more at peace. And sometimes some of these steps you have to make, make that commitment every single day to do. So number one, I took the time to recognize where I was in this very moment in my life, whether it was work difficulties or family difficulties or, or family transitions and, 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 you know, just really recognizing this is where I am in my life. This is what I'm doing right now. And then second, number two, I also told myself it's okay to be angry at that moment. It's, angry, it's okay to be angry and get that off your chest and say it out loud. Say it out loud to a trusted friend or colleague. Say it out loud to a family member, someone that you love. And sometimes if you, have, if you have none of those options, it's sometimes okay to say it out loud and say it to yourself, even if it's just to yourself. You know, number three, if there was a situation I was currently in, and, you know, we talked about two of those situations I was currently in and talking about where they are right now, and, and I needed the environment to change. And I said, you may need the environment to change, especially when it comes to a work situation. I had to make the commitment to myself that I was going to make that change no matter how long it takes. I was going to make that commitment that I was going to make that change no matter how long it takes. Number four, as I prepared to make that change, if applicable, I had to forgive myself. If I'm going to work on forgiving other folks, forgiving yourself is the first thing that you have to do, if applicable. Number five, when going through the season, concentrate on what you like to do that's constructive as I like to live now. And that's what I told my friends. Live now. Don't delay your happiness in the rough season that you're going through until, until you get through it. Sometimes, whether it be going to the beach, reading a book, having, having, having a drink at the end of the day, something, you know, that, something that you enjoy, enjoy doing. You know, going to happy hour and having wings and watching football or whatever the case may be. You know, do those things now. Don't delay the gratification. Life is short. Life is short. Number six, work out. Work out, work out, work out, work out, work out. Burn that energy. Get it out of your system. All the things that are going on in you, work out. Burn that energy. You'd be surprised that during the workouts, it gives you perspective. And it also goes to the physical manifestation of getting that stuff out of your system. It really works. Number seven. Once again, talk to a friend, talk to a counselor, mental health professional, seek counseling. It's okay to do that. We're in a, we're in a stage now or we're at, a, we're at a stage in our society that it's, there's no shame in seeking out counseling and mental health, mental health uh, counseling. So certainly go ahead and do that. Number eight, remind yourself to continue to commit yourself to the change. 
A lot of times we say we're committed to change and then we don't we don't always follow through. No, remind yourself that you are committed to that change. Whatever change that you need, whether it's a change in job, whether it's change in whether it's a change in job for what one of my friends is going through, whether it's now going in the dating scene, what another one of my friends is going through, or just just really just a change, just to change thing change things up. You know, do my old fashioned thing. Take out your notebook and commit to the necessary steps to get that change done. That change might take days, maybe really short. It may take weeks, may take months, or even years. But you will be so surprised. And as I told my friends yesterday, yesterday, that you'll be so surprised that the healing that you find will be find in the will be found in the journey of you doing it. Not so much when you get to the destination, you get to the place where everything is over and everything is good. Sometimes it's just, you know what? It's just that the journey of doing it will help in that healing. Number nine, the hardest part to work on is forgiveness. Believe me, I work on that process every single day. And it's not to absolve those who've wronged me, wronged you or have wronged me, but to ensure that they no longer have any dominance in your life. Life is short. Life is so short. So why am I going to spend time, you know, holding on to that poison? You know, when you have a hard time with forgiveness, I could tell you right now, and, I, and I've had a hard time in that process of forgiveness, you know, say the serenity prayer. You know, we all know it. You'll really be pleasantly surprised as to the peace it will give you and the perspective it will place on, upon you regarding forgiveness. You'll be really surprised. So, you know, do that. Say the serenity prayer. It really helps in the journey of trying to get to a place of forgiveness. The final step that I would share with you would be to celebrate when you reflect on what you've been through. When you get to what it is, celebrate what you've been through, not what stopped you. It didn't stop you, not what came along the way, but remember what you've been through. Celebrate that when you look back on it, when you look back on what has happened. Because when I think of those who were of those, you know, celebrate it because you've been through it. When I speak, when I think of those people who are unspeakably cruel to me. And even to this day, wish me harm. And I, and I have seen them. I see them. It's all good. You know why? Because I got through it. I won. I won. I have a position that's desirable. And that position is not necessarily me teaching or what I'm doing at the institution. But the position is that I took their best shots, their best and most cruel and willful shots. I took the best of what they had to throw at me. And I'm still here and thriving. I told my friends, you're taking the best of their shots and you're still here and thriving. I got through it and I'm doing better. You will get through it. They will get through it and we'll do better. So that's my victory to celebrate. That's my victory to celebrate. And when you go through it, it'll be your victory to celebrate. My friends will heal. My friends will heal from their divorce and workplace issues and... I have numerous friends that are going through health crises, recovering from the death of loved ones, caring for terminally ill loved ones, estranged from children, others going through divorce, negative family dynamics, navigating co-parenting as hard as it could be. And I pray for them every day. The friends of mine that are listening to this that know they're going through it, know that I am there and I pray in my morning prayers. I pray for you every single morning. I'm there with you every step of the way. I hope that they're listening to this. I hope that 
they are applying those 10 steps, 10 steps that I apply to myself every day to not only get them through, not only get us through, not only get you through, but to get you to living. It gets me to living every day. So get them, get, get to that living. So you know what? Today start with, today is day one. Start with a step one and go ahead and get living. Believe me, I know you got this. And definitely pick up the phone and call me in my friend in my circle of friends and family. If you know if you need that 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 part to sit there and banter and, and talk it through and talk it out, call me. But I know you got this. Thank you, everybody. You know, I always I always enjoy talking with you, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.